Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hot Happy Mess. Celebrate your magic in the middle of life's messes. Hot Happy Mess. I'm Zuri Hall and this is Hot Happy Mess. Oh. Shoot. <laughs> hello, hello, what is up? I am Zuri and this is Hot Happy Mess. Welcome to another episode. My bad, y'all. <laughs> My bad. My bad. Uh, I would love to say happy Monday, but the truth is, this is going up on a Tuesday. Your girl has been booked, busy, blessed, but also basically exhausted and a little burnt out. So I'm going back to old episodes of Hot Happy Mess so that I can tap back in to the ultimate truth, which is that we need to focus on best life minus the burnout. It has been a crazy few weeks over here. Work is awesome, but it is going at full speed. And I've got some really exciting things that I'm cooking up and that I can't wait to tell you about. But that also means that I'm a little stretched in right now and I'm trying to get back to the regimen that I was in where I was productive and efficient, but also really in a good place when it came to, you know, time management and self-care and all the good stuff that we talk about and we try to live here at Hot Happy Mess. So forgive me for the slight delay, but it was a whole lot of getting my life together really quickly um, so that I can show up for myself, so that I can show up for you better. And I'm going to get into that soon in, in a solo episode and just kind of tell you guys what's been going on and open up, get personal. It's been a little while since I did a solo episode. So I think it's time for a check-in, right? We can just, you know, swap stories, talk about life, um, all the good stuff. So that's coming pretty soon. But in the meantime, 
this is a little bit out of order, but I'll just keep it real with you. The reason it's out of order is because my life's a little out of order right now. Um, so I was excited. I'm still excited to kick off a few episodes uh, that are focused on motherhood, that are talking about pregnancy, that are talking about, you know, whether you want to be team kids or team no kids, uh, because it, it is certainly within your rights to choose any one of these paths or attempt to choose them. So I am pulling back from the series vibes for a little bit. We're just doing standalone episodes, which I think is more fun. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps me on my toes. We don't get so bogged down with, you know, five episodes in a row of the same thing. So I say that to say, even though we're hopping around and this episode is going to be about alternative roads to motherhood, um, don't think that it's in some order or something, because I'm going to be talking about pregnancy. We're going to be talking about egg freezing and, and, and my journey where I am in this road to motherhood. Cause I, I do have some things that I want to, you know, talk about with you. Uh, but today we're talking about all of the amazing, empowering alternative options and roads to motherhood. You know, between egg freezing, surrogacy, adoption, there are so many choices that are available these days and it can be, oh, that's the doorbell. Guess what's here? My Pizza Hut, baby. Let's go, Lola, let's go. Lola, are you gonna go get the pizza? No? Mm, okay, I'm going to go get it um, in a second because we got to talk about this journey, y'all, okay? The journey into motherhood. Like I was saying, egg freezing, surrogacy, adoption. It's a lot. It's a lot to navigate. I have so many friends who are in various stages of these processes or considering them. I myself am personally exploring freezing my eggs, which I will be sharing more of pretty soon here. Uh, so make sure you are subscribed and listening as I get super real about my journey into eventual motherhood. Uh, but as I explore my options, I wanted to hear from someone who's had experience in this arena. And Josephine Adluri fit the bill in so many ways, y'all. Her story is fascinating. From her experience with IVF, adoption, and surrogacy, y'all, she is getting super candid with her journey into motherhood. I loved everything about our conversation. She has so much wisdom, so many gems. And what I really loved is that she's keeping it honest about the struggles, the mental struggles, the emotional struggles, the physical struggles that came with each of these journeys because she took each one successfully. Um, and it's a beautiful story. Her, her journey is awesome and I'm excited for you to listen to it. So tune in to learn about the options available if you're interested in exploring your path to motherhood. Here's my combo with Josephine. All right, y'all. Josephine Adlery is a graduate of the University of Chicago. She's an expert in meditation and mindfulness, helping thousands of people overcome adversity to find joy via her private sessions, online classes, responding to life podcasts, and her latest book, Mindfulness Journal for Parents. She's a mom of seven kids via IVF, adoption, and surrogacy. And Josephine is a highly sought after fertility and parenting mindfulness coach. So I could not think of a better human to have on the podcast today for this episode. Josephine, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Zuri. I'm so excited for our conversation today. 
Yeah, I'm really um, so fascinated by your story. So grateful for you sharing your journey and your experience, you know, with the rise of women waiting to have children. That includes myself. I am one of those women. And the increase of fertility issues within the U.S., Um, I'm just really excited for us to have a really open, honest, heartfelt conversation on some of the other options that that we as women have when we're exploring uh, the possibility of motherhood later in life. Um, So let's just dive right in. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about your journey to motherhood. Seven kids. Wow. Have you always wanted a large family? Yeah, well. When I thought large, I was thinking like three or four because I only have a younger brother. So I wasn't quite imagining seven, but here we are. So mm-hmm. a lot of concealer and coffee helps. <laughs> Girl, I can only imagine. I can barely, I just got a puppy and I'm like, oh my God, life is so hard. How do I juggle it all? I need all the gold stars. I can't even imagine one kid, let alone seven. Um, was that, you know, as you started down the path to motherhood, was it like, you know what? We get two, we got three, let's keep this thing going. Or was it just one of those things where life unfolded? You looked up and had seven kids. Yeah. So we started our journey. We knew we had to go straight into IVF because of an illness my husband had. And so we, when we started, we knew there were a possibility to have multiples, which is what we have a lot of. Mm-hmm. And we also knew that we'd have to possibly explore other avenues like adoption, which is one of the paths that we took. Uh, in order to create like this bigger family, meaning like three or four kids. And so, you know, we went down the IVF road and it didn't work out right away. It took a couple of years to do it. Finally, we had to make some decisions to switch and facilities and doctors. And we did that. We became pregnant with twins only to lose them in the second trimester. And it was that point that we decided to pivot to international adoption mm-hmm. uh, because I was just I was exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally. I just couldn't do it anymore. And and at that point, we moved to adoption. We welcomed home our son fairly quickly. You know, we picked a program that didn't take too long. And uh, we adopted him from Kazakhstan. And then we, you know, once you have that first child, like the memory of all the things that you went through kind of fades in the background and we decided to give it one more shot. And so we pursued IVF one more time, a totally different place, became pregnant with twins. They threw the kitchen sink at me. It was, it was pretty, it wasn't the pregnancy I had hoped for because Mm -hmm. I, you know, I had to be on bed rest for a lot of it. Um, I had to have a surgery and, you know, but lo and behold, we welcomed boy, girl twins. And in that process is when, you know, we saved a number of embryos and anyone who's ever done IVF or any sort of assisted reproductive therapy knows the blood, sweat, and tears that go into creating these embryos. And that's, that's what led to, um, uh, four, five, six, and seven. <laughs> <laughs> because we had them uh, frozen, these embryos frozen. And every year you get a letter asking, what do you want to do with these embryos? And none of the options ever sat well with us. But I knew that I couldn't carry again. So we decided to pursue surrogacy, but it took a while because it's really cost prohibitive. And that's why there's a big gap between our our last set of kids. So we ended up doing um, surrogacy. We partnered with this amazing woman and welcomed home uh, twin boys. And then many years later, decided to try the very last embryos that we had and worked with a different surrogate altogether. And now we have um, 
twin girls who are five months old. And Whoa. so we have every type of twin you can imagine. <laughs> All the twins. All the twins. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is absolutely amazing. So beautiful. Um, and, and a challenging journey at that. I mean, I say that from the context of the beauty being in the challenges and yet still uh, walking away with these, these seven beautiful children that you're now raising. Um, just for context, you mentioned a gap in age. Can you share the ages of your kids? Yeah. So our son who we adopted is 14. Actually, oh, no, he just turned 15 last Uh-oh, week. Oh, mama. You know, like, so <laughs> <laughs> I've had those moments where I'm like, oh, man, wait, I'm at the doctor's office. They'll ask me their birthday. And yeah. I, just for really, um, <laughs> the boy girl twins are twelve. The five year old, the twin boys are five, and the baby girls are five months old. Oh my goodness! So we are on the spectrum of yeah, of, yeah. Of childhood of the teenage years. You guys have oh, a yeah. full house. Wow. Yes. Um, I want to backpedal a little bit to that first uh, step into motherhood with your first child, the son that you adopted. Um, You know, I have friends, uh, quite a few now who are trying for their first child. Uh, You have me over here trying to figure out this egg freezing journey. I have a friend who's struggling, um, really desperately wants a child and and is working um, through, through the the challenges that her and her partner are really dealing with right now. So I'd love to talk about the emotional aspect of getting to motherhood for you. What was that journey like for you? How long were you trying? Um, What did it feel like? What was that if there was a roller coaster of emotions, just kind of walk me through your headspace once you once you started that journey. Yeah, no, these are all such great questions, Zuri. And it really is. Like you touched upon, it is an emotional roller coaster. I think one of the going into it and what I found with many of my clients and just people in the fertility community, what I hear often is that we go into it pretty naively. We think, okay, well, the science has been proven to work. So I, if I do IVF, I should come back with a baby right away. But that isn't the case for many women. And like myself, it took me, you know, we were doing IVF for in the beginning for two to three years before we pivoted to adoption. And um, that is, that's kind of on par with a lot of people's experiences. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing for me during that period was letting go of control mm. and and letting go of expectations because I entered the situation with all of these expectations of what pregnancy first was supposed to look like, what this IVF process was supposed to also look like and the results that I was supposed to get and when I was supposed to get them. And, you know, when you come into like with anything in life, when you come in with expectations, it adds a lot of stress. And it also limits you because now you're not open to any of the other possibilities that can happen. And it just creates a lot of friction in your mind, in your mental well-being, and just the whole process. Mm-hmm. And and then there's it, that kind of ties into this idea of control because, you know, when you go into it, you think, well, there's so many things that I can control in this situation to receive a positive outcome. But in reality, there really isn't. I mean, you can control your fitness and your nutrition and definitely should go for that when you're doing any sort of process of trying to conceive and become a parent. But aside from that, once you start navigating into even adoption, uh, surrogacy or IVF, anything like that, a lot of that control is 
non-existent for you because you're at the mercy of all these other institutions. And there's a lot of struggle, internal struggle in the very beginning. And it can be throughout if you don't recognize it and you don't give yourself the space to just let go of a few things and, you know, realize what you can control, like your mindset, your your breath and other things like your fitness and your nutrition. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm able to talk about it now like this, but in the process and the thick of it, I was, you know, I didn't recognize any of this as I was going through it. And so I was like many of the people today experiencing a lot of anxiety and stress. You know, I lost the twins, depression, and, you know, eventually it manifesting into things that I didn't think would would ever happen to me, such as an eating disorder, all because of this issue of like lack of control and all these expectations that I had. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, you mentioned um going into it with this idea of what it was supposed to be like, what it was supposed to look like, what, what specifically was that for you in a perfect world, right? What was supposed to happen? You, you go in for a few rounds of IVF. It's a tough, it's like, wh- what did you expect that didn't happen? Yeah, I expected, you know, with IVF and we went with the very first place was this big institution in, in Boston and they were really renowned for many of their departments, perhaps not their um, their reproductive center. And so I went in thinking that it would happen within a few tries and that it would be a fairly straightforward process and that, you know, my husband and I had been through so many things already um, together that we would be able to handle it emotionally and we'd be really strong throughout. And so those were the the notions that I had going into the process, but it got completely turned upside down with just how the science was working or not working. Mm-hmm. Um and how I was actually able to to handle the situation because it really wears down on you. You know, it sort of chips away at you with every single attempt that you take. You know, it like anything else, it just it starts to eat you up inside and it's hard to it's hard to pause as well. That was one thing that I definitely um also realize that you know it's so time sensitive when you're trying to conceive that you feel like you're going against your internal clock which you kind of are and so there's all this pressure that you're imposing upon yourself and others as well in your life who are saying you just need to keep going you don't really have time to stop and do other options or you don't have time to take a break and take care of yourself. And so that was what I was going through as well. When I find other women as well, it feels really hard to take a break, but it's so imperative to be able to just pause and take care of yourself so that, you know, you can go back to it feeling your best and much like you would if you were playing a sport or something or a game where you need to, you need to refresh yourself and nourish yourself so that you can handle the next steps. Um, so you've talked a little bit about kind of how you expected the process to be. I'm sure so many of us can relate to that in, in different avenues of our life, right? That, that need or desire to control just to make sense of really challenging situations in our lives. Um, what do you recommend 
for women who are trying to let go, who are trying to um, step outside of their head and, and just get the support that they need. How did you get to a place uh, where you were doing the things that you were encouraging other women to do? Because you mentioned, you know, that you eventually developed an eating disorder from the stress around all of this. How did you overcome that and get to a healthy place? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great question. And and I'll be honest, in the beginning, when I, even before adoption, I wasn't at that place. I didn't figure out the strategies and the tools that I needed in order to to feel better. And um, even then, once we had our child, our first son, you know, and we attempted IVF one more time, it was nerve wracking. I was really just, I was quite a mess, actually, especially with having to be put on bed rest and and all this stuff. So it was, I think that was sort of the tipping point because it was after I had the first set of twins that then I thought life, you know, a lot. this is a misconception. People think that once you have children, that all your problems are solved, that everything is fixed, quote unquote, and that none of the other stuff that you went through ever happened and that you should be fine. Like you should be grateful and that it didn't affect you whatsoever. But the the reality is that you went through trauma. The whole process is traumatic. Whether or not you experienced the loss or what have you, it's still traumatic. And it's very much like PTSD where you still carry it with you. So certain situations fired it up. So for me, I didn't develop the eating disorder until after I had the three kids and I was training for a race and I I made it through the race and I didn't know how to handle controlling this new physique that I had that I worked so hard to get. And then all of those other issues came flooding back. And so it was really through that therapy that I went through to overcome the eating disorder that I learned to recognize, you know, the issues that I was facing with issues of control of self-worth, which is a very common theme with people who are trying to conceive and have issues. You know, one in eight people have to use some sort of um, fertility treatment in order to become parents. And so that with it comes along with, you know, I feelings of like worthiness, like I'm a, I'm a woman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a woman. I should be able to do this. This, I was given the, the ability to have children and it's not happening and it just wears away at you. And so it was during that recovery for eating disorder, actually, that I was able to heal myself and then apply it when we were going through surrogacy because surrogacy, it's a, you know, each of these paths, they're a whole different ballgame. But you know, they have many similarities in, in this idea of control and expectations, but it's kind of skewed in different ways. And so with surrogacy, I had to let go of control of the fact that I wasn't the one carrying our children mm-hmm. and that I couldn't control what was happening to, you know, in terms of her body and her nutrition and that I had to trust a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. And, and so there were so many issues with that. But from the things that I learned as I was healing and recovering through that eating disorder, I was able to apply it here and let go of some of that control and learning to trust the process, learning to control what I could, which was I was trying to develop my mindset, you know, um, giving myself some grace, trying to challenge all of the 
beliefs that I held within me about my self-worth and this whole process and just challenging that inner critic that we all have inside. And so there's a lot of self-talk going throughout that second phase of becoming a parent through surrogacy. Talking about minimizing that that negative self-talk, something we all deal with and suffer from, would you say that therapy is kind of the number one? Was that the go-to that kind of helped you with those intrusive thoughts or the negative self-talk? Is that what you would recommend to the women listening, potentially, those of us who, who might be dealing with our own um, mental health issues or wellness issues as we try to get our bodies ready for whatever the journey is that we want to go on? Yeah, so I've been on this journey, it seems like, for a really long time because my son is now 15. So it's been almost 20 years. And I have to say, I'm really very um, pleased that there's so many different resources out there in comparison to what was available before. Before I didn't have anyone. It was just me and my husband who had each other. And so I'm grateful that we had such a strong bond and relationship. But nowadays you have so many different outlets. So you have women's groups or fertility groups that you can speak to. There are so many fertility coaches now who can help you um, through the process of becoming a parent. And and then there are things, things that I do in terms of just tapping into mindfulness and meditation, because a lot of that are just ways and strategies for dealing with that sort of feedback that you have in your head and learning to tap into that inner calm that you have and deal with stress because it's such a stressful process. And even, you know, some of the clinics themselves that you go through, whether you're doing adoption, surrogacy, IVF, whatever it is, a lot of them now also provide resources for you to manage your stress, like acupuncture or mindfulness classes. And, and so, you know, there's so many resources now. The important thing to remember is that seeking out any type of help isn't a sign of weakness and that it's a sign of strength and that knowing and knowing how you're feeling and prioritizing yourself through the process, it's what's majorly important. Yeah. I love hearing that from your perspective, especially I was going to ask you, you know, you mentioned fertility coaches and I was like, well, where do you recommend we reach out to? Hello, fertility coach in the building. So this is some of the work that you do now to, to help empower other women, right? Yeah, yes, but I do it from that um, perspective of being a meditation and mindfulness coach. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I have online courses for it. And a lot of times I'll also help people like right before right before they'll do an IVF treatment, before an egg retrieval or an embryo transfer, or if they're doing an IUI or anything like that, or even if they're doing surrogacy or adoption, like these really big life moments, um, it's great to sort of center yourself and be able to tune in. And um, because I remember when I went to that very last clinic, I'd never done acupuncture before, but Right before the transfer, they said, we really think you should do work with our in-house acupuncturist. And I'm like, okay, you know, at that point, you're like, whatever it takes, right, just I'll jump whatever, I'll do whatever. <laughs> and after that, I was so hooked on on acupuncture just for just like on a monthly basis. To do I've never PMS. done it. I just, oh. I'm like, I think of the needles and I'm like, ah, so oh, yeah, no. <laughs> great, right? That's what everyone tells me that I love it. I'm just, I haven't done it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was great. So I did that. And so it's very much like that, where in that moment, your cortisol levels, your, your, your 
this fight or flight state. And it's really great to be able to come down to baseline. And so that's what meditation and mindfulness can help you do. And I look at it in terms of like when you're even just going through the journey of it, you know, it's so stressful when you're sitting in the waiting room, waiting to get some blood work or an ultrasound or meet with your doctor. You have all these thoughts, you're scrolling through Instagram and you're seeing all these things of like, of people getting pregnant or how it should be and all these things and that you're just flooded with all of this stuff that if you can utilize a strategy, like a great mindfulness strategy, such as like an affirmation or something like that, where you can speak to yourself in a more positive way and just remind yourself of your strength, your power, your inner beauty and your light, you know, it really flips the script and helps you proceed into that next step, whatever it is, just from a calmer and more, um, clear state of mind. And so that way, when you're actually in that appointment, you can respond better. I remember walking out of so many appointments before I utilized mindfulness and meditation, where I wouldn't remember a single thing that the doctor said to me, because it was all up in my head. And just thinking about what the situation after he told me the news, what this meant and like fast forwarding to the future. I wasn't present and I wasn't able to ask my questions because I was thinking about the past mistakes that I had or all the future things that we had to do now. Um, And so mindfulness and meditation and just being present really helps you navigate all of the um, the emotions and the stress. Yeah, I I love that perspective. And I've I've not given it that much thought. Now I certainly have something to walk away with to just chew on for a little bit, but how that mindfulness really helps us be present in a way that actually serves the process. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And so, and then I walk away and thinking like, what just happened there? I have no idea. My husband will ask me like, okay, what are the next steps? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me because I don't know. I don't know. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, surrogacy a, a, little, a little bit more um, just from your your emotional experience and in your headspace. You know, Gabrielle Union is making headlines right now. Her second book has come out. Um, I was reading excerpts that really just resonated and struck chords that I might not personally relate to yet, but she was just super vulnerable. And she talked about the fact that, you know, when she and Dwayne Wade were going through the surrogacy process and they're in the, the, the hospital room and the, the ultrasounds are happening and she's crying these tears and everyone is like, oh, it's okay. Let it out. And they're thinking, oh, she's crying because it's finally happening. And she must be so joyful. And while this is the moment she was like, honestly, no, I let them think that. I was mourning. I, I was angry. I, I was resentful because I wasn't able to do this. This, my body betrayed me. And I'm paraphrasing. Um, and I had to watch this other woman carrying my child. And she saw how lit up Dwayne was in those rooms and something in her as happy as she was that her baby was on the way, something in her was feeling less than. And so the tears were very much sad tears and not the happy tears that everyone assumed. What was your experience like? Did you feel any of that um, through that journey? Uh, you know, watching another woman carry your child. What was, what was that like for you? Oh my God. When you described her experience, that just totally hit me and just resonated with me because that is exactly how you feel. I mean, I think even anyone going into it, just, you know, eyes wide open and preparing themselves will still have that moment where they feel where it's bittersweet, right? You're happy that it's finally working and that your child is growing and that, you know, you're finally going to become a parent or parent number two or whatever. 
But at the same time, you are also mourning that loss that, like we talked about before, how you have these expectations of yourself as a woman, as the person that's supposed to be able to conceive and create her own family. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're really not part of the process. One thing that I always compare surrogacy, people always ask me about it. And what I came to realize is that I now know what it felt like to be my husband. Because I was sitting on the sidelines. I was not an active participant. I mean, I was a participant, but I was not actively able to help her conceive the child. And I had to watch the babies grow. I had to watch from afar at all these appointments and to hear all of the updates. And so it was really hard. I mean, I'll be honest, even with all the mindfulness stuff and all of that, like it's just, and like with anything in life, it's a constant conversation that you have to have in your head that you're just constantly challenging things. So yes, you'll have a thought where in that moment you see the ultrasound and you're in the room and everything's going perfectly and the baby's healthy. And you think, instead of that happy thought, you think, oh my God, I'm I'm so worthless. I, I couldn't do this. And, you know, I always tell people to just acknowledge the thought. It's so painful to admit that to yourself because then, you know, then you start to feel like, so guilty for having these thoughts instead of feeling like you should be happy. But those are the expectations again, right? And that's what you're forcing yourself to believe you should feel. But our feelings are totally valid. And so we we should recognize them. We should acknowledge them. We shouldn't bury them. But at the same time, after giving yourself some time to grieve that process or grieve whatever it is that you're trying to let go of, then just to when you feel ready and no one should force you to feel positive when you're not ready for it, then going into the next steps, once you're, once you want to, and you felt like you really let go of all those emotions, then move on to the next step of trying to appreciate what's happening in the moment and, and then returning back to that moment, you know? So I hear a lot about, um, about just people being forced to be positive and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is you have the choice, but you should always do it with this idea of honoring how you feel Mm -hmm. in any given moment. And that means owning up to your feelings, no matter how maybe embarrassing or scary they may be, but just owning up to that so that you can show up for the moment in a a really um, present way. Yeah. That, that is so beautifully said and so important. You know, women like you, um, women like myself and other areas that I can speak to, um, the women around me who have been very honest about the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, that permission to feel the quote unquote ugly feelings, I think is really important because, you know, I, I've read think pieces. I'm like toxic positivity and everything's fine and everything's fine and everything's going to be fine. And if you hear it enough, you're like, am I broken? Like, what's wrong with me? Because I, I, I think it's BS. I don't feel positive right now. And I'm kind of upset that people want me to just look on the bright side right now. I kind of want to wallow. I kind of want to have a bad day. I kind of want to have a pity party. Just give me a few hours here um, and I can bounce back. But you saying, feel that stuff, go there. Every day is not going to be a good one. And it's okay to lean into some of those more negative emotions. I think that's something a lot of us need to hear because 
we always have our superhero capes on, right? We're moms, we're wives, we're employees, we're employers. And to just be able to sit with the feelings and let them be bad ones, I think is something that a lot of us need reminders for. Yeah, no, I love that you brought up the word permission because that's what it comes down to is that, am I giving myself this permission? Do I value myself enough? Do I hold myself worthy enough to allow myself this space, this space to feel whatever I'm feeling and not shoving it back in and not, and not acknowledging it. And so having that opportunity, it gives you a lot of mental freedom. You know, when you hold, have to hold on to something, it really can be um, so burdensome. You feel like you're just carrying the weight of it all the time. But if you can just release that emotion and just let sort of let it flow organically, then you can come out of it feeling more authentic to who you are and to the experience. And and then whenever you feel ready, moving towards that positivity, if you want to, you know, that's, I mean, the whole toxic positivity. It's so hard when you're a mindfulness go. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's like if anyone uh, can make us feel better about like feeling the bad stuff, I want to hear it from the mindfulness coach, right? Like if mindfulness coach is like, it's okay to like not always be super positive. Like that's where I'm going to believe it the most. You know, it's easy for someone else to say it. Um, and also like when it, when I think about physical health, there's so much that manifests in our bodies that we internalize. I and I'm speaking from personal experience, like. I would shove stuff down even in recent years and just be like, I'm just going to compartmentalize. I'm going to disassociate whatever it takes to just keep my head down and plow through and just get it done. And it would manifest in my body weeks or months later. I, I had my first panic attack at the start of last year. This was pre-pandemic. And I was so confused as to what was happening or why. And, and since then, I've worked through it. And I'm realizing there was so much stuff that I wasn't actually dealing with and I wasn't allowing for the space to just sit with the bad stuff, to sit with the negative emotions. And I was internalizing it and my body was just harboring all of this negative energy because I wasn't letting myself cry. I wasn't giving myself, you know, the evening to just break down or to call my mom and vent. I was trying to be the soldier that I, I've been so often. And it was only after working through it and letting the tears come and letting myself be angry and giving voice to those negative emotions that I felt like the burden started to lift. And, and so it was interesting to see it manifest physically um, because that's something that I think about as I think more about, you know, my eventual journey into motherhood, how important it is to let this stuff out, these emotions and these feelings so that they don't manifest physically when we really want our, our vessels to be the, the best and the strongest and the healthiest they can be. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you were able to work yourself out of the... Um out of the panic attack. They're so scary and they come out of nowhere. And then trying to figure out what just happened can take, you know, such a long time. The first time I was like, is this the end? It makes no sense because I had never experienced one. And yeah, you're right. In the moment, it is like the world is caving in on you. I can't even imagine going through something like that while also on a fertility journey. I can't imagine. And yet so many women do. Yeah. I mean, it's already an emotional roller coaster and then all of that. And then the physical effects of it, when you have a panic attack, it's not just this mind game. I mean, there are also these physical things that happen to you. And then you're right. It's because you are storing it. And so that all that that stuff is being held, whether it's being held in your head and manifest into migraines and like 
that has happened to me or or holding it in your shoulders and your neck and all of a sudden like you can't move your neck or another part of us is you know when we're in a constant state of fight or flight in the constant state of being stressed out all these systems turn off in our bodies so like our digestive our immunity um our reproductive system all of those things don't get prioritized so we don't realize it but that's why we start to get all these um, digestive issues, you know, we start to get sick more often because all of those systems aren't being prioritized because you're in a constant state of trying to survive. When you're surviving, you just, you don't need those systems, right? And right. so it's totally key to just, that's part of it's sort of cyclical when you're, you're, when you start to become mindful, because then when you start to notice things in your body or in your mind, you're like, okay, hold, it's time to just give myself a, a time in. It's time to pause and I Did need you say to time in. Time in. Yeah. Like opposite of time out. Yeah. Yeah. I have Ooh, kids. So I like that. <laughs> <laughs> they get time out. Mama gets yeah. time in. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I love that. Love that idea of a time in. Time in for the mamas, the mamas to be, the maybe mamas. We all deserve a time in. So I'm going to put that phrase into my my arsenal <laughs> for future reference. Um, you know, we're wrapping up here, but before I let you go, I'd love if you could just talk um, maybe to your number one thing you wish you knew, number one thing you want uh, the, the ladies out there to know about each of these different versions of journey to pregnancy, IVF, adoption, and surrogacy. For each of those things, what's maybe the top thing you wish you knew before you started the process? Mm, yeah, I love this question. So let's start with um, let's start with adoption. And adoption is it's kind of like it has a lot of the paperwork and stuff that you have to do with IVF. Um, but one thing that I wish I I knew about before I started it would be just letting go of of my expectations of what it meant to be a parent, like going into parenthood. And, you know, I walked into it after, and I feel like many people do, after many years of trying traditionally, and then you go into this alternative path to parenthood of adoption, whether it's international or domestic, and you still are holding on to what it was supposed to look like, like we talked about before. And I found that it prevented me from really enjoying the experience fully in the beginning. And then when I finally was in the country and just got to, we were just so close to the finally becoming parents, that is at that moment that I just let go and enjoyed the whole experience that I really reaped in the benefits. I really could finally enjoy this piece of becoming a parent. So that is, you know, with adoption, I would say check all that stuff that happened to you in the, in the past. Know that it, it definitely is a part of who you are and a part of your story. But when you're going in through this next phase or this next path, to really be present to it. And that may not be every day. Uh, it may be every other day, maybe week by week, whatever it is, but trying to constantly bring yourself back to that moment so that you can ex appreciate that journey that you're finally on to become a parent. Okay, that's adoption. We've got surrogacy and IVF left. <laughs> yeah. And then with surrogacy, you know, we talked about it briefly and it was sort of this, this idea of... Um, your relationship with yourself and with your your surrogate 
something there is that I wouldn't try to force it. We ha- all have these norms, social norms of how we're supposed to act with our with our boss, with our teachers, with our friends, our family. Mm-hmm. But we don't have any norms and guidelines for how am I supposed to act with a surrogate because it's such a new process. And so when you walk into this relationship, really do what you feel comfortable doing. Like if you want to forge a best friend relationship with your surrogate, then and she's cool with it, then go for it. But if you don't, then that's okay too. So really honoring how you feel and what you know, what you're comfortable doing and not forcing yourself into what you feel, what you expect and what other people expect the situation to be like is, you know, that was a big thing for me as, as we navigated sort of the start of the process all the way up until the end. Um, and then finally with IVF, one thing to remember there is to, is to just take it sort of day by day because your your protocols will constantly change and you kind of have to be really you have to be really fluid and when you're fluid and flexible you um you have to let go of a lot of barriers and those barriers can be expectations they can be emotional barriers that you're setting upon yourself um but if you can allow yourself to kind of be like water where you're just flowing over challenges you're not trying to push through anything you're just trying to if you find an obstacle then you're you're finding ways around it and you're going through it so always just reminding yourself to just be be like water as you're going through the process and and not sort of fight these obstacles trying to just sort of flow with it and be flexible and to let go of all these these barriers um will make the process just a tad bit easier yeah, yeah, that's really great for for the women who are maybe starting to explore their options. Do you have any advice or, or resources that you recommend we go to, like actual tangible this website or, or this clinic? Or also, how do we reach out to you if anybody's interested in, in um, you know, maybe taking a course or or getting coaching? Yeah, no, no, that's great. So that was one thing I wish that I had done back in the beginning was to do more research. But now that we have so many resources available, it's it's really wonderful. One thing is, you know, that we did, and I don't know if people still do, is to look at the CDC just to see the reproductive centers and facilities that are out there. Um, and then you can kind of get a handle of what's close by and sort of what they're um, success rates are and all those things. And that's kind of a good first step. You can also look at, um, there are many sort of advocacy places and other motherhood places that talk about um, infertility, such as like Fertility Out Loud or, or Motherly or um, uh, Robin. Uh, so you can look at things like that. And then uh, if you're going through surrogacy or adoption, if you had already gone through um, an IVF location, then they are a great place to ask for surrogacy um, partners because they've worked with reputable ones and they can tell you, especially if you decide to use your same IVF center and doctor, you want to go with someone that is familiar to them so that it's not another hurdle for you to go through working with a new clinic or a new surrogacy agency that they've never worked with before. Um and then adoption, you know, looking based off of, start by looking at different countries because all countries, not all agencies um, go to each country. 
So if you're trying to figure out like, you know, what country you want to adapt from or if you're doing domestic, um, start off by figuring that process out first and then looking for agencies um, based off of that. And then in terms of reaching out with me um, on Instagram, it's Josephine R. Atlery. My website is jatlery.com. I have uh, those fertility mindfulness courses. If you're already a parent, I have that book that Zuri mentioned, The Mindfulness Journal for Parents. Um, and I also offer, um, you know, mindfulness sessions one-on-one for parents, um, parents-to-be, all of that. Awesome. Any final words of wisdom? Anything you'd like to share before I let you go? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been so great to talk about this topic and, you know, it definitely needs more coverage. Uh, so appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you so much for uh, being a part of that for our audience and sharing your, your wisdom and knowledge and experience uh, because I have certainly taken away so much and, and I know our listeners will also. So Josephine, thank you. Thank you so much, Suri. It was such a pleasure. Happy. Yes. Ooh, that was good. Thank you so much again to Josephine. So empowering. I loved that combo. And especially as you know, I am thinking more seriously, more concretely about my own journey into motherhood. And it just is so awesome to hear from someone who's been there right? It can feel so overwhelming because y'all know, oh, I just, I get stressed thinking about it. I get excited thinking about it, but it's a lot, especially for us women who are juggling so many other things, whether it's our career or relationships, children we may already have, um, friendships, just all of it, all of it, trying to show up for ourselves. Maybe we're trying to book these flights and take these trips and just do our thing and be a little selfish in a good way. Uh, so it's a lot, but it's, it's always good to hear from someone who, who's been through it and can help us feel a little bit better about getting through it too. So Josephine, thank you for laying it out for us so clearly and so lovingly and so thoughtfully. Make sure you hit her up if you're interested in learning more. And remember to stay tuned for more episodes every Monday. You can head over to hothappymess.com and leave me a voice recording if you want. It could be a review, a question, or just to say what's up. Who knows? You might hear yourself on a future episode because I want to start sharing your beautiful voices more on the show. And if you're loving what you're hearing, leave us a review. In fact, here's a review from a lovely listener right now. At Tiffany Tasby says, Zuri is a hot, happy message. Okay, I will take that. Thank you, Tiff. (laughs) She says, I absolutely love your energy and the freshness your voice brings. Great show. Keep it up because it works and I'm here for it. Thank you, Tiffany. I appreciate that so much. I appreciate you taking your time to listen. And I'm glad that you're loving it. I'm I'm loving what we're bringing to the table. And there's so much more in store. So thank you. If you want to support, the best way to support the podcast that's easy and free is by leaving us a review. A five-star review. Thank you very much. Uh, But you can just do that by going to Apple Podcasts, typing Hot Happy Mess in the search bar. And then scrolling on down, tapping it and leaving us a review. All right. So we can grow, grow this thing. Keep moving. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Share it with a friend. If you know someone who would resonate with this, who might be on a journey of her own into motherhood or is currently on that journey and slide in my DMs in the meantime at Zuri Hall and at Hot Happy Mess. And I'll see you next week. Talk to you later. Bye. Oh, (laughs) I just hit the table. That hurt. Lola's so over me. Bye, bye, bye.
State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.